guys, and welcome to another episode of Tell Me About It, where we get all of our shitty moments, rejections, the mistakes, and heartbreaks and insecurities out in the open, and are reminded that the women we admire most also have lives that are far from perfect. I'm your host, Jade Iovine, and I'm so happy you guys are here. I had the worst PMS. Actually, I can't just say this week because it honestly, my PMS lasted two fucking weeks. And I was just a rage. I was a monster. Like I was ravenous. I couldn't get satisfied. Like no matter what, I was just hungry all day. I truly ate my way through the past 14 days. So I've just been waiting, 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 waiting for my period to come so I can put the monster back in the closet. But finally, I can tell you that the day has come. The sun is shining now. I'm like back to myself. And you know what? It's just a great day to have a great day. So first things first, I want to tell you guys that I've loved the voicemails that you guys have all been sending. We've been getting some wonderful voicemails and text messages from you guys talking about all of the moments that you kind of felt alone in going through or the topics that you wish more women would talk about. I've been loving reading and listening to those, so please send more of those in, and then we're going to start reading them at the end of the episodes. So obviously anonymously, everything's anonymous, but I just love getting to connect with you guys. So we'll give you the number again at the end of this episode. It's also in my bio on Instagram if you want to get it there. And I've banned myself from saying I'm so excited because I truly say it every fucking episode. So today I'll say I can't wait for you guys to hear today's episode. It's with Erin Foster, who I'm so excited to have on. She's probably the person that when I tell people that she's coming on, like I've gotten the biggest reaction to, like people are so excited, especially my single friends. But I really think you're going to love today's episode. Shit, I just realized I just said I'm so excited again. I can't help myself, guys. I need help. If you follow Erin on Instagram, you probably feel the same way that I do. It's really, she's a great follow, so I highly recommend following her if you don't. She's just like sardonic and sarcastic and calls everyone out on their bullshit. You know, like she's that friend that you love to have around because they call everyone out and just like say everything that you're thinking. So I love following her for those reasons. And also you can always catch a good old fashioned sisterly brawl between her and her sister, Sarah, which is great, especially if you have a sister, it will remind you of you and your sister, I guarantee you. We all feel like we know Erin through her Instagram because she's so honest. But throughout this episode, I'm telling you, I learned so much stuff about her and how her brain works and her inner monologues and her anxieties and what she had to do to ultimately get to the place where she was open to finding the right person in a healthy relationship. And in this episode, I realized that like her honesty isn't just limited to, you know, calling her sister out or being brutally honest about her dating life. Her honesty is really all-encompassing. Like, she's honest about who she is. She's honest about her mistakes. She's honest about the rejections that got her here. She has this radical acceptance about who she is. And it took her a long time to figure out who the hell she is. And I think a lot of us, floundering in our 20s especially, probably feel the same way. So I know a lot of the stuff that she said will resonate with you. It definitely did for me. We talked about anxieties, um, how to heal past wounds in order to, like, be able to even find a healthy relationship. We talked about fucking up and how easy it is to fuck up in your 20s and what to do when you get rejected or fall flat on your face. There's a lot of humbling moments that we talk about that I think you'll really relate to. But for those of you who don't know Erin, let me catch you up. You might know Erin and her sister Sarah from their show Barely Famous, which was on a few years ago, and I watch it all the time. It's really, it's, it's a good binge watch if you haven't seen it yet. 
She's also a writer and a creator and currently has a deal with Disney's 20th Century Studios. Erin and Sarah are also co-heads of creative and are currently advisors for Bumble. And like Bumble, they invest in a lot of female-founded companies like The Mirror, canned wine company Bev, and women's wear company Somersault. Erin and Sarah also have a clothing line together called Favorite Daughter that we'll talk a little bit more about later and I'll give you some more info on. But okay, okay, enough of me talking. Let's get to it. Here is Erin Foster. I guess that's it. So then I just have to say hi to you again awkwardly because... Oh, yeah, okay. Say hi to me awkwardly like we just met. Yes, exactly. Okay, ready to get started? Do you have water and everything? Yeah, I have all my little accoutrements. Okay, perfect. Hi, Erin. Hi. How are you? I'm really good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so excited. Thanks for having me. I'm like, there's so many things I want to talk to you about. But first, I didn't realize that we both live in West Hollywood. Oh, yeah, we do live in West Hollywood. Yes. I didn't know you live. Well, we can't, I guess, get too specific of what house I know, we're exactly. in, what street I know. we're on. I know. I'm behind the. Oh, OK. Yeah. I am close to you and okay. on the other side of La Cienega. How mysterious. Yes. Okay. East of La Cienega. East of La Cienega. Okay. No one show up at Aaron's house. Yeah. I want to get into a lot of minutiae with you, but we got to jump right in because I have like a thousand and one things I want to talk to you about. Great. I like to start by talking about your 20s because <sighs> I think... And I love that. Well, I sigh. just have to sigh when I think about I my 20s. I was going to ask you what your gut reaction is when I first mentioned that decade. Oh, it's not great. Are you still <laughs> no. in your 20s, by the way? Yes. Oh, my yes. God. Get Which me out of here. What year of your 20s are you in? 27. Oh, honestly, great year. Everyone says that. There's just something about, you know, there's like a tipping point when you're at that halfway point. Yeah. And it starts to get a little easier on the other side of 25 and it starts to get, it's different on the other side of 35. And these tips, these tipping points are, 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 I think just sort of, you don't understand them until they're happening. But I think, mm-hmm. you know, when you get to the end of your twenties, you have a lot more understanding, hopefully than you did at the beginning of your twenties. Yeah. I'm definitely finding that like the Saturn return whole thing. I'm feeling it. I noticed that certain things that bothered me like crazy only bother me a little, but still bother mm-hmm. me. You know what I mean? I just feel like my identity is crystallizing. Like I'm slowly starting to figure out who I actually am. It feels good. Yeah. I think that's like how everything evolves over time in your twenties is just a, an extremely magnified version of that mm-hmm. where every year you go through something challenging, complicated, huge growth, huge heartbreak or huge, you know, wake up call or huge humbling moment. And you start to reorganize your priorities. And Mm. and for me in my 20s, my priorities were not great. I mean, my priorities were sleeping in. Yes. um, (laughs) Being uh, pretty. Yep. Being skinny. That was a big one. Yeah, it's a big one in your 20s. Skinny, pretty, and cool was really, (laughs) those are my like, probably the only things I cared about. Oh my God. It's true. It's so true. It's really an obsession. It feels like, yeah, because it's, it's an obsession for everyone around you. And I kind of just thought if people thought I was cool or if guys thought I was pretty Mm -hmm. and skinny and cool, Mm -hmm. that everything else would be secondary to that. And, um, obviously you come to learn that those are not the things you should be. Yes. That's on. not where happiness is. If but... your goal is happiness. Yeah. Right. I mean, it doesn't right. bring you happiness because it's always fleeting. Like right. 
when you need things like that, nothing's skinny enough and nothing mm-hmm. is pretty enough and it's nothing true. is cool enough. You don't have enough cool friends. You aren't invited to the right parties. You know, there's another girl next to you walking in the door that has something special you don't think you have. And it's like a game of catch up and you cannot catch up. And so you spend a whole decade wishing you were somebody else. Yeah. And the goalpost, you're right, keeps moving. Like you're like, oh, okay, I need more, 27 more friends. And I need, you know, it's just impossible. Yeah. It's a lot of fear of missing out and not just to a party, but to life. Like yeah. you just think everybody else kind of has something figured out that you don't have and you can't catch up. And, and I, and I really, really felt that I really couldn't grasp who I was and who I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And what it should look like. So I tried so many different things to try to find that. And I was just like strangling it, you know, maybe if I dye my hair dark, then people will think I'm edgy. Yes. If I say this word that I just learned, then I'm going to seem smart. I, I mean, dating was really complicated for me. It was just like, it was so hard because I wanted to be liked and I didn't know who I should be. So I would watch somebody be sort of cool and aloof. And I'd be like, okay, then that's what I'm going to be like. Yes. And it wouldn't work. Yes. It's so true though. It's wearing their heart on their sleeve and so vulnerable and would just like show up to someone's door who rejected them and be like, I won't take no for an answer. Yeah. Like, I love you. And they'd be like, okay. And I go, oh shit, maybe I should be like that. Yes. It's so true because I think that's like where all the insecurity lies is because like you don't entirely know who you are yet or what you want out of life, but like you feel like everyone else around you does just because they're showing like a fake version of themselves or maybe they do have it figured out and they're just blessed. But like there's a lot of looking to the left and right of you being like, okay, I want to be like more like that person in this way and this and you just you can't be like you can just you never can just exist. Yeah, there was nothing scarier than being on a date and a guy saying like, what kind of music do you like? I'm like, (gasps) Yeah. Wait, what kind of music do you like first? So then I can change my answer. You say it first and then I'll also say Kings of Beyond. Like, I don't know, whatever you say, I just want to be like, oh, please end the date if it's that answer. That's cool. I'd be so scared to be like, I don't know. I really like Justin Bieber. Like, what do you want? Yeah. Yeah. Like I listened to Taylor Swift album 12 times on the way here. Yeah. It takes, not for everyone, but for me, it took being in my thirties to actually just admit who I really am. And it seems so hard to just be yourself because you don't know who that is. So everyone would say, just be yourself. And I'd be like, okay, but tell me which version of myself you like, because I've been a lot of different people. So which one do you want me to be? Yes, yes. And then you just like kind of assimilate to like every room that you're in and just try to camouflage. And like, it's it's impossible to keep up with how often you want yourself to change and be different people and different aspects of different, it's just, it's just a crazy time. Yeah. And and we don't realize how exhausting it is. Right. And also we forget how, you know, knowing yourself and accepting yourself and being comfortable in your own skin and being a little bit more truthful and honest, mm-hmm. it, it's so much more attractive and compelling than the idea of being cool or mm-hmm. wearing the right pair of leather pants that all your girlfriends think are the best thing or yes. being skinny or whatever the thing is you're obsessing at the time you know, walking into a room and just owning whatever it is that you are. If you're really anal about everything and you're really like tightly wound, then embrace that about yourself. Laugh at it with your friends. Yeah. Acknowledge it. And, you know, going out to dinner, like, okay, guys, but you know, I'm going to be difficult. So just like let right. me order first. Right. Just own what it is that you feel compelled to be. And, yeah. and typically people will kind of move out of your way so you can be your full self. 
but you have to create that space for yourself. And, and I know that sounds very like vague and broad, like you can't, you don't know how to implement that. And I think it's in the, like the minutia, the small, the small moments, it's like really pay attention to what your honest answer would be to something Mm -hmm. and like take a risk and see what it would feel like to tell the truth in that moment about listening to the right music or, you know, you sit down on a date and instead of acting cool, you go like, fuck, I'm really nervous. Like, yeah. I, I feel like we had a really good texting game. And now I'm like, I really hope that we can also have great chemistry in person. Yeah. Just be honest. Yeah. It takes the air out of it. You know, totally. it's so much pressure. Who are you like as a person at 25? How are you different now? It took me a really long time. Ironically, I work in like comedy, but it took me a long time to have a sense of humor about myself. Like I took myself really seriously because I was so convinced nobody else took me seriously. And I was really sensitive. Like I had Mm -hmm. a really hard time taking a joke and, and I had a hard time laughing at myself and I felt very tightly wound in ways that I am less so today. None of it goes away. You are who you are. Right. I'm still sensitive. You know, I still sometimes make a joke and everyone laughs at me and I'm like, wait, guys, do you really think that about me? Yes. I still secretly wonder if all my friends hate me. I mean, these things don't, it's not like they disappear, but they don't control your life. Okay. That's good to know. I feel like that feels good to know that salvation is in your thirties. Yeah. I mean, I can see a bad picture of myself today and it doesn't phase me. I'm like, Oh, that wasn't my best angle. Or like, you don't take to bed and just. Oh, no, oh, I should really do, get my roots done. Or like, oh, that. I yeah, it shouldn't that at that position. But I, that doesn't control me. And like, what did it take to get there? Just age? Yeah, nothing is. Nothing is so black and white where you wake up at thirty and you're a different person. Exactly. Yeah. You know, when I turned thirty, I was in a bad place. Mm. I mean, I was in a good place in my career. I had gotten my first big writing job on a, on a Ryan Murphy show. And I was like very excited to be just like a real working writer, but it's also a reminder to girls in their twenties. Like that was my first big real paying job. I was, I was 29 when I got the job. I turned 30 when I had the job. Yeah. I love that you're saying that. So, you know, that hasn't affected my career and being too late to, to Mm -hmm. land on that moment. Um, Mm -hmm. and so to answer your question, I, in my personal life, I was in a bad place when I turned 30. I'd just gone through a nasty breakup with a horrible person who had like just been a full sociopath. Yeah. And it screwed me up in my head only because I was like, shit, I, I thought that I had better instincts than that. Mm. How did I how did I just like miss that whole thing? Yeah. But in my career, I was in a good place. And that sort of sent me on a path of shifting my focus to my work. Mm-hmm. And um you know, like anything that no one can really, I mean, someone can take that away from you, but it's, it's something, it's a singular thing, a singular path you're on without another person. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of control the, um, the amount of energy you put into it. And that became the love of my life mm. instead of guys mm-hmm. dating. You know, mm-hmm. I always sort of, I wasn't going to matter unless someone loved me. Right. And that was the only thing I cared about. I think a lot of people feel that way. I think a lot of people do feel that way. And then the people that you, that do love you, aren't the ones you want to love you. Exactly. Until they start to like pull away. And then, yeah, it's just, it's so fucked up. Yeah. You're like, I just want a good guy. Oh, wait, wait, not that loser. No, 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 not that one. Exactly. 
And it doesn't, you know, I think that's one of those things where you think you're feeding your soul with something, but there's nothing in it. It's not Mm -hmm. feeding anything. It's only, you know, feeding the, I don't know, the bad, the bad side. I don't want to say like your ego and get all like Freudian about it, but (laughs) get all Freudian, but you know, it's not, um, it wasn't fulfilling. Yeah. And I felt like I was just chasing my tail, you know, I was just kind of like, I wasn't really making forward motion and I wasn't really proud of that. So when I hit 28, 29, I started moving in a forward direction and that felt a lot better. Yeah. And I leaned into who I really felt I was authentically instead of who I thought I should be for everybody else. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of moments where my writing or my sense of humor, people didn't get it. Mm-hmm. And they'd say like, you can't write about that or you can't mm-hmm. say that, you know, that's, that's taking it too far or that's not, um, people don't talk like that. Right. And you shouldn't tell everybody about that bad date you went on because then it's going to make you have more bad dates or it's going to make you undesirable or, or what oh if you're, God. you know, art imitates life. And do you think you, you're, I think you're oh, not going to find someone because you keep, you know, making jokes about how, what a failure your love life is. Like, Thank God and, you did though. Yeah. And I just was like, you know, I just instinctively don't think that's true. Yeah. And I think owning it and owning how hard it is can't possibly deter the right person. I think it's hard because like women are so multidimensional, you know, and like we're, we have so many different parts of us. Like for me, one day I'll be really sardonic and sarcastic and self-deprecating. And other days I can't take a joke at all. I'm on the verge of tears all day, or I'm really sensitive and soft and And then I'm very confused because I think, okay, maybe that's my personality. We just as women contain these multitudes and it's hard to understand which one we are, especially in your 20s, because you're also comparing your identity to all the other aspects of other people's identities you want to have. And it can just become one big mess. It's hard because you don't know what part of you to show to the world, you know, but I think it's like when I look at you, it's crazy to hear you say that because I feel like you have such a strong sense of self where like your real self can translate to Instagram. You know what I mean? I feel like that's the, that is the caliber that I hold people to. Like it's it's hard to do, I guess, right? It is really hard to do. No, it's really hard. Like I struggle with that so much. Like I look at my stories and I'm like, who wrote that? Like, what is, what side of my personality did I just show there? It's like very hard to translate who you are in person to Instagram, but you've mastered it. Thank you. Yeah, I think a lot of that is quieting all of the voices of of picturing what people are going to think of something. Mm-hmm. And part of that too is like, you know, sometimes you have to take a loss and you have to step in the wrong direction or what feels like the wrong direction. And when I was 20, I mean, I could have been 27. I worked at Free People. Mm. And know that, you know, it's a clothing store and I was not 19 doing it. Uh, I had never worked in a reach. No, actually I had worked a retail job when I was 15. I worked at an old person's shoe store in Malibu. Amazing. Summers. Um, (laughs) I love that. But I was at a, I was at a point where I just wasn't making money. I was, you know, writing for daily candy. You probably don't even know what that is. I've heard of it just because I looked it up from your last podcast. Oh, you did? (laughs) It, It was, it was cool. You know, 15 years ago. Yeah. Uh, but it paid $75, I believe, uh, for every post. And I'd spend like two weeks on it. And I was writing for Hello Giggle. Mm, maybe not yet. 
I think I was, but I wasn't making any money is the point. Right. And I really couldn't figure out what the catch was. And mm-hmm. so I just literally took a job. I was like, yeah. I just need like a few hundred bucks a week. And I need to like, know I have income because I don't want to have to ask for help. Right. And I, the point is, is that it, it, it felt like it was not a forward step for me. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I'm going to see friends there that are yeah. shopping. Yeah. Like the fear of running into people, you know, while you're working, it felt like this, you know, backward step and it was humbling for sure. Obviously it's a choice I made. Nobody made me do it, but, but there was something instinctively that just felt like I just need to do this to take a beat and figure out what I want to do next. And survive while I'm doing it. And it really helped propel me. I went from that to, you know, my biggest writing job and it was a step forward. Yeah. Even though I didn't think it was because it was teaching me things about myself Mm -hmm. and it was, um, reminding me that, uh, I'm not the center of the universe and that, you know, the world isn't just waiting to hand me everything that I want. Yeah. And sometimes you do have to, um, you know, what do they say? Like, I don't know, the, the line of success doesn't, isn't a straight line or something like it. it everything, yeah, let's go with that. Yeah, I, like I, just, that. <laughs> I don't know if that's a real saying, but you know, life is meant to, to zigzag and take you forward yeah. and back and lateral. And I think if you embrace it, you know, my girlfriend, Julie, Julie Yorn, she's a producer. I don't know if you know, Julie, no. but um, at one point she was help. She helped me kind of learn to write a little bit early on in my, in my twenties. And, um, and at one point she was like, I'm doing a movie in Canada. Do you want to be like my assistant for a couple of weeks? And she was one of my best friends. And I was like, fuck it. Yeah. I'll be your assistant for a couple of weeks. Turns out I was a terrible assistant, but, (laughs) but I just kind of said yes to things. Yeah. And it, I was very scared being 28 years old and not having my career figured out yet. And, and I was scared, you know, at 33, not having my, my relationship figured out yet. And all of those things were really hard and scary. And it doesn't take away from where I am today, where I have some of those things in place that I really am it happy about. Um, but it kind of adds to the, how good it is now, how hard it was to get there. Yes, for sure. We have this impulse to always like panic Mm-hmm. And think, oh God, I'm so fucking old. Or like, I wasn't planning on being 28 and not right. making this amount of money or being 29 and not being at this place. And 30 is like, you know, that age where everything should be completely figured out. Yes. Like how you talk about taking a retail job at 27 or 28. I can't tell you how liberating that is for us all trying to figure it out in our late 20s. The truth is like, it takes time to do anything well. Mm-hmm. And that means life, like yes. relationships interpersonal relationships, work relationships, learning how to like take a, you know, criticism from someone, learning how to take notes, learning how to fight with your friends better or how to apologize. Like those are parts of how you live a better life, right? Mm -hmm. Like where people like you want to give you opportunities. You have to be easy to work with. You have to be on time. You Mm -hmm. can't come in. You can't be entitled. Mm -hmm. You have to be respectful. Like Mm -hmm. these aren't things that just happen. You I mean, I guess you're supposed to learn them as a kid, but you know, please. I'm I'm like, I feel like you got to learn those in your twenties. You got to fall on your face a few times. Exactly. So I just think that if women could look at these stumbling points as, you know, stepping stones, Mm -hmm. they're leading somewhere. Mm -hmm. If you do the work, 
And I don't mean like to be cheesy about saying do the work, but I don't know, whatever that means to you, like yeah, work on yourself, um, have honest friendships with people who will tell you the truth. If you're mm -hmm. being an asshole or if you're being obnoxious, or if you're being rude, or if you're being selfish, try to find partners that actually like respect you and treat you nicely that you respect and that you treat right. nicely too. Right. So this idea of like, I want to be treated like a queen. That doesn't mean that your yes. partner is a peasant. It means right. he's a king. <laughs> yes. Right? Like you kind of have to be in that equal footing. It's true. You have to be equals. You have yes. to both treat each other like you're each the greatest thing that's ever happened. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. You're like, I don't want some guy like, you know, bowing down at my feet. Well, to be clear, my boyfriend bows at my feet, but I also bow at his feet. So it's as long as it's reciprocated. Because otherwise, what's attractive about that? So what were some of those, like you talk about those stumbling moments, like were there any, like, are there any that stick out to you from your 20s, like a rejection or a mistake or something that just really knocked you on your ass? I mean, I got fired from that writing job. Oh God, the one you finally got when you were 30? And it was really very painful and like really challenging. And... um it was hard. I, I, I just, was there like a lot of shame there? Yes, for sure. I, mm -hmm. I just had a bad relationship with the person I worked for. We just didn't, we couldn't click. Like it yeah. just wasn't working. And you know, at the end of the day, she was the boss and I wasn't. And it, it happened the way that it happened. And I was really angry about it at the time. And I'm less angry about it today, obviously. Cause I look back and I go, you know, I don't know. I, I obviously, I had a part in that too. Yeah. And it takes time to, to look at that. But at that time, because of that big failure, mm -hmm. part of that failure was, was that person really making it clear to me that they didn't think I was talented mm -hmm. and that, you know, it turns out they made a mistake hiring me. I'm not a good writer and I'm not great at this. That's like what your inner monologue is. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. I mean, I was fucking devastated by that. I was really embarrassed by it. You yeah. know, I was like, oh fuck, this is like my worst fear. Yeah. I assumed I was faking it this whole time. Right. She fully called it out that I, <laughs> oh, I am as bad as I think thing. I am. Yeah. But it, you know, those moments are really important for your growth because I really wanted to be right. I mm -hmm. wanted to blame yep. and be like, I did nothing wrong here. And, and that's all just like noise. But underneath that, there's something powerful in a person basically calling out all of your biggest fears about yeah, yourself. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It it's sounds terrifying. Mm -hmm. It's fucking terrifying. But yeah. then it happens. You're like, okay. So the worst thing I could imagine, I literally <laughs> looked at and said, like, you're not a good writer. You're Ugh. bad at your job. You're not Oh, talented. my God. And you're fired. So now you're out of work. Everyone's going to know you got fired. Oh, and right. I have to pack up my things in front of the, you know, writer's room. And yeah, when you get fired, you just inherently think that everyone is looking at you and paying attention to you and, you know, looking at you with binoculars, but really no one is. Everyone's just paying attention to their own failures and not thinking about you. Of course. And it's like, yeah. I know it's the talk of the writer's room or whatever. Yes. And, you know, I already felt like an outsider being there just because I was new at it and I was nervous. And so your, your biggest fear happens and then, you know, you're fine. Yeah. And that's like a really big wake up call. It's yes. like, it can happen in a breakup. 
you can have your heart like smashed and like ruined and torn apart. And you think you're going to like literally just die. And then you wake up and you get fired. And someone tells you you're fucking terrible at the one thing you think you've ever been good at. And you wake up and you're fine. Yeah. And clearly, you know, I didn't let it stop me. And so how did you bounce back? Like how long did it take you? How do you traditionally cope with stuff like that? When it comes to work stuff, I tend to be a little unemotional about it. Mm. Uh, It's something that Sarah and I, my sister, always are very different about. Because if someone doesn't buy a pitch, you know, or a a show I write doesn't Mm -hmm. get picked up, I kind of just move on. Like, I just am like, you know what? God bless you. I, but, but like if, if my brunch order shows up wrong, I like, it ruins my day. <laughs> you know, if they're like, if something isn't like, as I expected right. in a small way, it's like, I have like a panic attack. Like I like, I can't recover yes. from me thinking all day about, you know, uh, the dinner I want to order and then calling the restaurants closed or something like that's hard oh, yes. for me to recover from. <laughs> me too. Or like, God forbid your Postmates cancels and you're, month is ruined. I get it. But getting, you know, pummeled in big ways, like for work. You're pretty resilient. Yeah. I just kind of go like, okay, I accept this Yeah, and I'm going to move forward and see what the next thing is. And so, uh, I went from getting fired and created barely famous right after that. No way. My favorite show. Thank you. I love Uh, that show. It's so good. Thanks. It was, it was ahead of its time. I agree. You know, it was, it was fucking good. Sometimes I watch it like over again. You do? Yeah, it's you good. Get so many messages about it. It really was a special show and it sucks that it didn't go on longer um, or wasn't on the right platform so that more people could have yeah. seen it. Yeah. But I went right into that and wow. to making something that um, I was excited about. And yeah. so it kind of propelled me upwards yeah. because you know, being in a writer's room is great. It's like a very good job to have. They pay you really well. And it's just, it was my dream to do that, mm-hmm. to be like behind the scenes and be on a writer's staff. Cause I, it felt like legitimate to me, you know, like I'm, I, ha- I was so proud of having like the writer's guild insurance, yes. my, yes. you know, my pass and my car to get on a lot. I was like, I am a real fucking writer. Like, I made it. Real. Yes. I made yeah. it. Even though I was like the lowest on the, on the, that's okay. You know, no one knows that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then creating your own show is, you know, different, but it's better because you are making the show that is the show you want to make. And you're, uh, writing the kind of dialogue you want to you want to have and you become the boss. And so that's kind of where I landed from it. And it ended up being, I, you know, I didn't ever come from this like vindictive place of being like, Oh, I can't wait for the, I don't really think like that. I'm not like a revenge person. So I'm just like not willing to take it far enough to be a good revenge person. Yeah. So it's not like I was sitting there doing it to get back at, at someone. Right. But I was doing it to prove to myself, you know, I was trying to surround myself with more people who thought I was, was a good writer to drown out the voice that had told me I wasn't. Right. So drowning out that one voice that says you can't with many voices that say you can. Yeah. Yeah. So have you always had like a good relationship with yourself or like when do you feel like you really started to like yourself? I mean, I don't know if I'm even there yet. It's hard. It's hard to do. Yeah. I think 
it's like you're either sometimes I feel like you're either insecure and like self-deprecating and anxious or you're <laughs> high yes or you're like a, or you're a sociopath I don't exactly. know <laughs> and you think you're just like the greatest thing <laughs> yes but I do think it's a female thing yeah because you know, I wake up and go to sleep thinking about all the things that I said wrong that day me or too. did wrong or forgot to do. Do you have anxiety? Oh my God, the most anxiety. Okay, me too. Okay, good. My Great. husband wakes up and is like, you're welcome, world. Yeah. I, I, I'm breathing air for you. I mean, you're lucky to be in my presence. Yes. And you're like, am I taking up too much oxygen in this room? Yeah. Like, it sucks. Like, it just, I just wish I could turn it off some days. Like, I promise I'll be twice as anxious tomorrow if you just let me have this one day without anxiety. I think that that does get better. Yeah. I, I know it gets better. Listen, anything that you ignore or deny will get worse. Right. So anything you avoid dealing with is going to snowball into full panic attacks. Yes. But things you're willing to talk about and willing to look at, I would go to therapy. I talk to a therapist every Monday at 2.30 about yep. why I couldn't date properly, why mm -hmm. I didn't want to go on a second date with someone who liked me back, N had no interest. I thought, he, if you like me back, you're literally <laughs> a huge loser. I only wanted to go on a second date with somebody who- Who treated you me, like shit. Yeah, who made me feel like he wasn't going to be into me. Yeah. And it was destructive. Right. And I didn't, you know, I, I really looked at it. Like, why am I doing this? Where is this coming from? What is this feeding in me? Why can't mm -hmm. I find a good partner? Why does every relationship seem wrong or feel off to me? What is there? Like, I can't seem to find that person who even for five minutes, I really feel sees me. Yeah. Or if they're obsessed with me and in love with me, like, oh my God, you're the greatest. I want to marry you. I'm like, but you don't even know me. I felt. Right. Yes. Like, you haven't seen me have a meltdown when, you know, the restaurants close. <laughs> right. When my brunch order comes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you haven't seen me spiral after a dinner party thinking I said the wrong thing or, right. you know, told you the depths of, of anxiety and like self-doubt I have. Yeah. And so it didn't feel real to me. And it mm -hmm. took so long to find that thing. The point is, is that I was looking at it. I was not ignoring it. Mm -hmm. I knew that I was the common denominator. You can't go through your life and just say all guys are fucking terrible. Yeah. Guys are for sure terrible a lot of the time, but you knew how terrible they were day one, right. at least day eight. And you didn't bounce. Yeah. It's true. Oh, I'll change it. I'll be the one person that they're not going to be awful with. And so we, we have to take responsibility for our part in it, mm -hmm. you know, where we, where you welcome that discomfort and that unbalanced relationship where someone's treating you the way that you treat yourself, which, you know, you deserve better than how you treat yourself. Yes. Yeah. So you think is therapy the main thing that helps you a lot with like negative self-talk and all of that? It's not just therapy. I think it's living your life like like you're always in therapy, like every yeah. conversation with a friend is going to be open and honest and that, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to paint a different picture for the people around you than the truth. Mm -hmm. So you don't put on airs for your friends. You mm -hmm. don't, you know, a, you don't pretend like the date went better than it did or, mm -hmm. oh, you know what? I actually, it turns out I just wasn't into him. Tell the truth. 
Yeah. Honestly, he hasn't called me back and I'm fucking spiraling about <laughs> yes. it. Just be honest. Like yeah. those things help you get more comfortable with like the fact that you're human. Right. And that right. everyone else at 26 is thinking or feeling the same way. Yeah. It's just, we don't talk about it, unfortunately. Yeah. I think it, you know, I always think the anxiety around doing something is always worse than the actual thing. It's true. It's true. Once you get it off your chest, it's like, it's like getting fired. Like the thought of it is devastating. Yeah. Then it happens. And then you like get in your car and okay, I just got fired. And then someone texts you and is like, do you want to meet at Hugo's? I just left a yoga class. You're like, yeah, okay. I guess I'll go meet you. And you walk in and you're like, I just got fired. Yeah. No way. Let's get a glass of wine and fucking recover. Right. Right. Just knowing that like life goes on kind of. Yeah, but it not just like it goes on like mindlessly, it goes on and gets better. Yeah. If you are like willing to engage in life and like recognize, take inventory, know your issues, know what your faults are, all of that. But yeah, you can feel if you pay attention, you can feel what's happening with how other people are reacting to you. Mm. You know, you can tell kind of are you pushing too hard? Mm-hmm. Are you playing it so cool that like no one knows where you stand? Mm-hmm. Are you coming in hot with everyone? Are you blaming people? You know, mm-hmm. are you defensive? Like you can see how people react to you. And it's like, it's on you to step back and be like, okay, I think I need to reposition things a little bit. Yes. Yes. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Would you say that confidence comes easily to you? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, yeah, you know, I feel connected to knowing myself and Mm -hmm. I think that helps. Mm -hmm. So I still walk into, I mean, quarantine's kind of made everyone socially awkward, right? Oh my God. It has made me so weird. Yeah. I'm like, (laughs) I definitely am not confident in in social situations. No, me neither. Me neither. Mm, Yeah. I, I feel confident. I feel confident, but it's not in, it's not like I'm confident oh, I'm walking in this room and I think I'm being looked at as the hottest and the Mm. coolest and the best and the smartest and the most successful. It's more like I'm confident, like I'm walking into this room and I know who I am and I'm going to be as honest as I can be and I'm going to have real conversations with people. And if they ask me a question, I'm going to give them a truthful answer And I'll try to ask people questions that are going to be meaningful and not just like small talk. Yeah. And so I walk in feeling like I'm going to be myself. Mm -hmm. That makes me feel confident. Yeah. It's not based on the same things confidence used to be for me. Right. I think that's a really important distinction. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's not just going in the room thinking your shit doesn't stink. It's like just actually feeling like at home in your body and like really – trusting the words that are going to come out of your mouth and trusting yourself and knowing yourself in that way can be confidence boosting. Yes. And that's hard to feel. Oh, yes. And some days you'd feel it and some days you're like, whoa, what happened? You know, you wake up and it's gone. But what really gets to you? What knocks your confidence these days? You know, I've noticed that when I was struggling, when I was single and when I was trying to get writing jobs in in that like scrappy phase. Yeah. I felt like I had so much support around me. And then when I started to have wins, I felt like the support got quieter. Mm. And 
sometimes it's hard for me. I feel self-conscious when a good thing happens in my life. And I wonder if people will still like me if I'm not struggling. Wow. That is interesting. Insecure when I have, yeah, like successes. Yeah. Because like, do you think people just feel like, oh, she's had so many successes. Like she doesn't want it. She doesn't need to hear from me. She's probably hearing it, you know, a million times. Like, what do you think that is? Yeah, I definitely think that we aren't good at being good friends to each other when the person's thriving Mm -hmm. because you think they don't need to hear it, but you know, Mm -hmm. everybody always needs to hear it. And I always get insecure that if something good happens to me, that people will be like, she didn't deserve it or Mm. it should have happened to somebody else. Or like, did she really work that hard for it? Mm. Fell in her lap. Well, it seems so easy or like, I don't know. I get insecure thinking that people are like doubting me. Yeah. And sometimes when you have a win, you know, there's a more critical spotlight on you. Mm -hmm. Why'd that happen to her? You know, it could have happened to me. Why didn't it happen to me instead of her? She didn't deserve that. Right. She's not that funny. Not that great. And that makes me insecure because I felt like all those people were at my back pushing me up. And then when I started, you know, landing some of them, people like, you know, not as, um, the silence can knock your confidence kind of, yeah. because you know, what's it's a loaded silence because people will gather around you when you're the underdog, so to speak. But then when you start getting successes and you start to become a success, I can see how people might start to pull away. Yeah. Like I really, I feel sensitive to wanting people to be happy for me. Yeah. I had a hard time with that when I got married. I really Really? was sensitive to wanting people to feel happy for me. Really? People you mean like in real life or people like online? People I think in real life. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I, I, I had identified so deeply with the person that like, wasn't going to figure it out Mm -hmm. and who was so far from figuring it out. Mm Mm-hmm. And I just identified with that girl. I identified with being the girl that's like out to dinner with six couples and I'm, you know, the wild card. Right. And, and that became like your identity. Yeah. And I, yeah. and I liked who she was. Yeah. I liked being that girl, you know, because yeah. when you hang out with a couple and you're like the third wheel or you're the whatever, the husband is, sees the best in you, right? Yes. He sees yes. like you know, that you're easygoing and you're fun and you're you're always available. Right. Yes. You're like the fun friend that pops in and out. He's not married to you. Yes. So the husband's always like, you are so great. We need to like, I'll set you up with any of my friends. (laughs) And you just kind of. You're like, great. Tricked you. At the top. Yeah. Yes. And then you're, you get married and, and it's just different. It Mm -hmm. feels like. I'm settled and I'm happy and, mm-hmm. and I'm in a healthy relationship. And I think, I don't know. I just kind of wanted all those people to be right there, like cheering for it. And, and maybe they were, and I just got insecure and sensitive. Right. About it. Right. There's always Sometimes that. I felt like, you know, that it was a little less. Yeah. I get that. I get that. Do you ever feel like ashamed of your past self? And like, how do you cope with that? Like, I feel so, sometimes I'm like, I'll be up at three in the morning. It'll be like a memory for me from five years ago and an interaction that I had. And it's just like gut wrenching, you know? Yes, Yes, (laughs) of course. I mean, like as soon as you said, what were your twenties? Like I almost like, I like shuddered. (laughs) Yes. 
list. Yeah, I'm deeply ashamed of it. I'm ashamed of I'm ashamed of things I've said. I'm ashamed of things I've done. I'm ashamed of how I've acted. I'm ashamed mm-hmm. of how I've hid my insecurities and I'm I'm insecure of how much time I wasted. Mm. I was not productive in my early 20s at mm-hmm. all. I was chilling. Yeah. I was just like, had no motivation. I'm like, I feel like that was, that's probably like good that you did that. I mean, obviously whatever you did led you here, but I mean, I, I get that thinking like I wasted time. I think a lot of people feel like that. I feel like I wasted time and, and, and that's hard. I mean, I remember I had a boyfriend who was just worked really hard. I don't know. He just was like up at 6am and just like this go-getter. Yeah. And I was just annoyed all the time because I just wanted to hang out all the time. And <laughs> like, you need to get a life. Like you're just sitting around <laughs> waiting for me to hang out with you. And like, I'm being productive, leave me alone. And I remember being embarrassed because he finally called me out on it. He was like, you don't do anything. Like, oh man. and I was like, oh God, he's right. And yeah. I wasn't doing anything. I was waiting yeah. for my life to start. Yeah. You know, I was waiting for something to happen to me. Right. And I'm totally embarrassed by that. Like I want to die thinking about that. Like, oh my God. I just, the fact that it was witnessed by people. Right. And thinking that that might be his impression of you. you Yes. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Yes. Yes. I know. It's like shame comes from unwanted identity. So it's like when you think that someone misunderstands who you really are for an anxiety ridden person, that can be a nightmare. Yeah. How do you cope with anxiety now? So I think that anxiety is, it's a buildup of a lot of small things. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are really small things you can do to relieve your anxiety. And I used to deal with it by having a glass of wine, Mm -hmm. taking a Xanax to go to sleep, Mm -hmm. you know, avoiding it. Mm-hmm. And I learned that it caught up with me and it, and, and my anxiety was at a, an all time high, like, you know, maybe through the pandemic a little bit. Yeah. I mean, everybody's was, but I was living sort of avoidantly. Like I was using the pandemic as an excuse to be avoidant. Yeah. My responsibilities. Yes. I did that too. A normal like work schedule. Mm-hmm. I was like, sweet. We're all on vacation. But yeah. then it quickly turned. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I, I, um, I stopped drinking two and a half months ago. Oh, did you? Um, I read this book. It was really interesting called Quit Like a Woman. I was going to say, yeah, that book. I've seen it all around the Instagram. Yeah, it's like, you know, you really don't, you don't want to read it because you love your glass of wine. I do, you're, I'm like, are you reading my mind? Like, I know that I should read it, but I'm like, oh, do I really want to start that chapter of my life right now? I mean, listen, you're a little young to start it, I'm sure. Okay, I love hearing that. But I think everything in moderation. So, yeah. so it kind of just reminded me or pointed out to me the way that I wasn't really drinking for good reasons. I was drinking so that I didn't have to sit in uncomfortable feelings. Yes. Whether that be the end of the day, you know, feeling like you didn't do enough or you couldn't catch up or a fight Sarah and I had that day or mm-hmm. a project that didn't happen, a disappointment, you know, something I wasn't, hadn't finished that I should have worked harder on that day. Yeah. And I would just have a glass of wine and everything would get a little easier. Mm -hmm. And then I'd wake up and have a cup of coffee and And it's all back, (laughs) you know, I'd be on that high again. And then I'd fall closer to four 30 and, and Mm -hmm. that cycle. So, um, I think that anxiety is such a buildup, like I said, and there are so many things you can do to take care of yourself, like being active. Mm -hmm. I know this sounds cheesy, but 
being active, going on a hike on the weekend, trying yeah. to exercise two times a week, it just makes you feel accomplished. Mm-hmm. And you go, okay, I started my day off right. Waking up a little bit earlier, going to bed a little bit earlier, sleeping well. I stopped drinking. Okay, this is a bad one. I stopped drinking coffee, but that's like taking it too far. I know. Yeah, I can't. I can't. But I'm just in a. I'm just trying this out as like a experiment. Yeah, it's a short term experiment of taking out all these like stimulants. Yes, and just sort of seeing what's under it. And totally. I, um, I feel a lot less anxious. So yeah, I'm sleeping a lot better. I'm going to bed earlier. Mm -hmm. I'm waking up and being more productive. Mm -hmm. And instead of waking up and just looking at Instagram for an hour. Yes. And it's just kind of giving me more motivation. So for me, when I'm proud of how I'm living my life, like I deal with the email when it comes in and I respond to it, or I show up somewhere on time, or I don't cancel the gym and I go to bed before midnight. Yes. Answering an email the second it comes in, is revolutionary. Yeah. Like it just feels like things sort of regulate you. Yeah. And then you don't feel like the weight of the world is on you because Mm -hmm. I was just feeling like I can't, I can't seem to get ahead of, of this feeling. Like it's been a really busy, busy, busy time Mm -hmm. for me professionally. And it's so many getting pulled in so many directions that I just start to feel like I can't keep up and Mm -hmm. I shut down. Mm -hmm. So doing these things, I did a lot of these change, made a lot of these changes to like clear space that I could manage my time better. Like managing your time well is a huge reliever of anxiety. Yeah, it's true. Wait, 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 avoid, avoid, avoid. And then panic right before something's due or panic right before the dinner starts or panic right before the whatever you're constantly living in, in, in anxiety. So I'm trying to be better about like giving me myself that space that I need, like wake up an hour before you have to do that thing, move slowly, sit, you know, and go through the emails you have to go through. Those things really relieve that bigger anxiety. Yes. And it's also like a form of self-love, like taking care of your future self, like being like, I know that I'm going to feel like shit if I leave this until tomorrow or the next day, obviously it can be so tempting with emails and stuff. If you can preemptively be like, okay, I know like I'm anxious about doing this, but I'm going to be four times as anxious the longer that I put it off. I think you're absolutely right. Because there's so many things that we go, I haven't read a book in a year. I'm so like ashamed of that. Like I should be learning something and not looking at my phone or whatever. Yeah. So then you go, uh, what I do is I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to read for 30 minutes every night. And Mm -hmm. so instead of getting into bed at 11, I'm going to get into bed at 1030 and I'm going to read for half an hour. Mm -hmm. And then Simon and I can watch a show and go to sleep. But I try to like make it clear. Simon's really like a very, very supportive partner. So if Mm -hmm. I say to him, these things are making me feel better about myself. Like I need time manage better something. He's like, okay, I really want to help you with that. Let's like, my boyfriend's the same way. Yeah. Like, I got to have to hear about it. Yes. He's wonderful. It's so nice to have a partner Absolutely. who's like, who prioritizes your happiness. So yes. Simon will be like, don't forget you really want to read tonight. Cause I know it'll oh. make you feel better if you, if you get that done. And it sounds like a nothing thing, but like, if you're wanting to accomplish reading a book, mm-hmm. you decide that and a year goes back and you still haven't even started it. You start to feel bad about yourself. Totally. So doing those little things, I think really help. Yeah, I feel like that's really sage advice coming from someone who has obviously done the work on anxiety because it's true. We need to do those little tasks 
you know, preemptively to make sure that they don't add up and give us one big anxiety attack on the other side. Because our anxiety convinces us that those little things are going to be really hard to do, when in reality, actually doing them as they come, they're never as scary as they seem. Like the first stage of anxiety is like the Xanax wine stage, you know, where you're just trying to like, just shut that feeling off because it feels so terrible. And then you're like, okay, that doesn't work. I do it a lot less. Yeah. I do think that that is, you know, it's not even simple enough to say like it's a gift of your 30s because Mm -hmm. I think everyone's 30s are so different and, Mm -hmm. and I don't know if it applies to everyone, but I think that. I've gotten a lot better at that. You know, I can see a really beautiful girl and I can say to Simon, oh my God, I really look at, she has like such beautiful olive skin and like her waist is so small. Do you wish I had a waist that small? (laughs) Do you wish that? He's like, you're perfect. I love you. I'm like, but admit that her waist is really small. (laughs) Admit how good she looks. He's like, I mean, it looks fine, but I love you. And I'm like, Okay. Sweet man. And he catches me on my explore page. I love to look at like a before and after picture of girls. <laughs> yes. Usually surgery before and afters, right? They're not, it's more like a, a fat transfer. It's not like yeah, a exactly. healthy before and after. No. And I'm just like, oh my God, look at the ratio from her hips to her waist. And like, and when you're in your twenties, you kind of always have this like secret hunch of like, one day I'm going to have the perfect body. Like I'm yeah. going to, if I work hard enough, I'm going to, I'm going to have it. And when you're in your like, you know, I'm in my late thirties, I'm like, okay, that ship has sailed. I'm never going to have this, like in this, like care cartoon character body that I always like envisioned for myself. But there's some peace in that. There is peace in it. Cause like, I'm also fine. Like, right. I, I survived and I, and I, and I lived through like, you know, whatever my peak years were supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. And I survived never having the crazy yeah. body that I was obsessed with. And, and, and I'm also happy. I'm fine. Right. Right. So I, I do compare myself, but I think, like I said before, it's like, it's sort of like a funny, like five minute diversion. And then I, and then I come back to life and it's not the same way that in your twenties, it can become really like a, it doesn't linger. Yeah. Just a, a real obsession. Totally. You're right about that. It's a combination of many things, but time is, and just getting past your fucking 20s is the key. Getting past your 20s. And I think also remembering that, um, you know, like when, when everyone's married and all your friends are married, people aren't like dying of jealousy over the guy that has the hottest wife. Mm -hmm. They're envious of the guy who's the happiest. Yeah. Oh, I want a wife that like I laugh with at dinner and totally who like, you know, we make dinner together and like co-parent on the same page and still like each other and she sits in his lap. Like that's yeah. the marriage people want. It's right. not like you have to be anything. Exactly. To be this perfect girl. I love what you say. I've heard you say it before, like you can do everything wrong. What is it? Like you do nothing wrong with the right person or what is that? Yes. You can't do anything wrong with the right person and you can't do anything right with the wrong person. It's so true. It's so true. I was a fucking maniac before I was dating my boyfriend. Like, like I accidentally said, I love you Like on our second <laughs> date. Like I just did everything wrong. And I thought every day he was like going to stop talking to me, but it's true. Like you can kind of just fuck up a lot when it's the right person. Yeah. You know, I mean, not like you should try to fuck it up, but it's like, I don't need to try. I just do it. (laughs) Which is how most of us operate. I think it's just like, 
if you go on a date with some guy and he's like, I don't know, she's too uptight for me. Mm-hmm. Like I've literally have been told that before in my twenties, like, Oh, you're really uptight. I'm like, Oh God, Oh God, I don't know how to stop being uptight. <laughs> yeah. And like, Simon thinks it's cute that I freeze up yeah. that I get like uncomfortable and I get embarrassed easily. And I kind of panic a little bit. Like, yeah, it's cute and sweet. It it's doesn't endearing. bother him. No, so I think I used to wring my head going to therapy saying, I just don't understand. Like I went on this date and he was totally nice, but I just like, I can't stand him. I don't like him. I don't want to go out with him again. Or, or is it normal in this relationship that this person's doing this thing or we're fighting all the time or this thing. And she'd be like, you're overthinking it. It's not mm-hmm. so complicated. He's just not your match. And mm-hmm. it's that simple. Mm-hmm. You're not meant for each other. So everything right. he does seems off to you and everything you do seems off to him. Right. Or, or you're in like a, you know, a fine relationship, but it just like, isn't like hitting for you. Like there's something missing. You can't, you can't seem to get it right. You know, mm-hmm. getting it right is a clear feeling. We feel it in a friendship. We feel it in a job. We feel it in a song. Like it's so clear when something just like feels right. Right. And so if something feels off, it's probably just not a match. Yeah. And you just try to avoid it, but it's like, you know, in your gut, you know? Yeah. But so we kind of come from, would you say similar backgrounds? <laughs> I don't know. Yes, like, I'd you know what we- I mean? Grew up with successful, well-known yes. dads. Mm-hmm. So I wonder, because we both have modern, broken, whatever you want to call it, families. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder if you like, like my boyfriend is so normal and comes from normal. And it's like, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Like I know that I'm doing something for myself in the future. Mm-hmm. But did you ever feel like, God, I don't even know what a healthy relationship looks like. Like I don't even know how to do this. Absolutely. Yes. Is the short yeah. answer. Of course. I mean, I, first of all, had never participated in one. Right. And I had never been exposed to one. Yeah. So how did you get from that to then like accepting the kind of love you have with Simon? And like, do you bring chaos into your relationship ever to try to like, you know, is that Pick things up a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, listen, I, I think that a relationship working doesn't mean that it is perfect. It means that it, that you're well suited for each other and that the things that are important to you in a relationship you have with that person. Mm -hmm. For me, Simon is my perfect person, like in every sense of everything. And like, and I'm his perfect person. And that Mm -hmm. doesn't mean we like everything about each other, Mm -hmm. you know, because there are things that we're very different about because we came from such different backgrounds. And so, you know, sometimes it's an advantage because he teaches me how to create a foundation for a family that will stay together. Exactly. He knows that. Exactly. Very well. And it's small things to him. He's like, I know that my dad, you know, included my mom in every decision he made for work. So Simon mm-hmm. will call me and go, do you think- Why did I, I get the chills when you said that? Really? Yes. I'm like, I, that's true. Like, I, yeah, I just agree with that wholeheartedly. That's really sweet. I, it's like- he paid attention to his parents' marriage and Mm -hmm. he took things from it that he wanted to implement in his own relationship, but he never had been able to do with any girl before. He was never like a great boyfriend. He was Mm -hmm. never a great guy. You know, he burned girls or led them on or whatever he did. Like, it wasn't like he was nailing it before. It was that when he met the right person, he knew how to implement these things. And so he'd say, you know, when I come home or something, he, when I come home and he's already home, he gets up off the couch and he comes to the door to Mm. greet me. And he's like, hi. 
And I'm always like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, well, when I grew up, you know, when our, when one of our parents came home, we were, it was like considered really disrespectful to just like lay on the couch and like wave to them from across the it's room. It's so like, true. Get up and go like, hi, welcome. Do you need help carrying anything from the car or whatever? Yes. And, you know, he'd tell me these things are important to me because it feels like, like a good relationship. Mm-hmm. And he teaches me a lot. And I think maybe you have that from your boyfriend too, where yeah. it's really helpful to have someone who, who has experience with that. Because when you don't, you only mm-hmm. kind of know what it looks like to, to screw things up. Totally. But it's also hard sometimes. Cause I'm like, I was 35 when I met Simon and, and I pushed back on some of it. Like, great. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that works for you, but I'm a mm-hmm. fucking adult and I don't need to be told how to right. be. Oh my God. Yes. But you have to have like a mix of both. And everything doesn't have to be perfect all the time, you know? Yep. And so you find that, that balance where, um, I, I do think it's a real gift to be with someone who has a normal upbringing mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. a stable, loving, close together family because yep. the values are embedded in the person. Totally. And we have the same values. We just don't know how to pull them off. (laughs) Yeah, we think that just because we come from chaos, we don't know how to implement these same values because it was never modeled for us. Yeah, and it can be hard sometimes because you're like, you know, a child in the situation. Like Simon's like, this is how you do this. And I'm like, well, I'm 38. I don't need to be told how to do things. Right. It's like, okay, but when you did it, do you see how things got better for us? Yeah. Okay, you're right about that. Yes, yes. So you have to kind of take the fall on like, acknowledging that you didn't really have a childhood that prepared you to know how to be a great wife yeah, or be in a great marriage. And, and like anything, there's always a culture shock when, when people who come from two different backgrounds get together. Totally. Totally. It's, it's, it's a culture shock for sure. Like our families are so different, but similar in so many ways, you know, and like the important ways, but yeah, like you said, it's good to have a mix of both. So when did you meet Simon? I met Simon in um, June of 2018 uh, when I was 35. So, okay, so you were 35. And when did you freeze your eggs? So I froze my eggs the years leading up to Simon, before mm-hmm. I met Simon. I had frozen okay. three times before I ever met him. Mm. Started when I was 34. Yeah, I went on my 34th birthday or like that week or something. I, I was like, you know, I'm just going to check and make sure everything's you know, yeah. good. And I went to just get checked from a fertility doctor and she told me I had a really low egg reserve and that my FSH was high and all these bad things. Right. And so I started the process. Hmm. So you did it three times. Cause I feel like so many, like everyone's in the dark about it. You know, like I've heard so many of my friends are like, should we start now? Like we have the youngest eggs we'll ever have now. Like, should we start now? Like what was that? Like, how did you start? How did you get decide to do it then? Well, I guess if I had gone into the doctor at 34 and she had said, oh, you have, you know, a million eggs every month and your numbers are great, like come back in a few years if you're not trying to, if you haven't already had kids, Mm -hmm. then I probably would have put it off. But I think when I realized at 34, I was already at a disadvantage that I already was like kind of working with less eggs than I was supposed to have at that point. You know, I was supposed to have at that point at 34 between 20 and 30 eggs or And I had like seven. Yeah. A month. And so I started the process because of that. Um, there's not a perfect science to it. Cause in some ways it's like, why put your body through, through that taking hormones, right. giving shots. It's really expensive. It's mm-hmm. uncomfortable. It's a challenging thing to go through. You really throw your body in a lot of different directions and you mm-hmm. do 
you're doing things that go against nature Mm -hmm. and you have a strong hormonal reaction to it. You know, it takes time to shake it off. It's not like a nothing thing to do if you don't have to. If you're 33 and you're like, well, I don't know, maybe I meet someone in two years and I never need to do this. Yeah. However, you know, if you wait to walk in that door when you're 38, there's a good chance you're going to have a really tough time. Yeah. Yeah. Not, Not always, but you're at a disadvantage at that point. Right. Every year after 35 is like, you know, 10 years basically. Really? Okay. So is your, you know, obviously it's expensive and every case is so different, but would your advice be just to like give yourself some peace of mind? Like if you're in your thirties and you're single, you don't have a potential partner or whatever to do that. I personally would tell someone that you should go get your fertility checked Okay. in your early to mid thirties mm-hmm. to see if anything is, you know, abnormal. Yeah. And if they tell you everything's great, then, you know, check back in two years later. Okay. Um, but I think if you are 35 and over, I do think you should freeze your eggs. Yeah. And of course this is not a medical opinion. Yes. No, but, we need to make that disclaimer. Uh, but having gone through it, it's scary that as you get older after 35, it just gets really harder and harder. And, and so if I had had, you know, a ton of eggs from when I was 30 years old on ice waiting around, mm-hmm. it, it could have been a lot easier. And yeah. just, everybody is getting married so much later now and yes. starting to have kids so much later, but biologically it's not the right time. Yeah. We're at like peak fertility at 18 or something. Yeah. Like. So you're so <laughs> far from that peak at yeah. that point. Yeah that I do know women who waited too long to go in and it was too late. You know, by the time they went to check it, they're 39, 40. And it's like, these eggs aren't working. Yeah. And that sucks. Yeah, no, definitely. Okay. Let's take a quick break and we will be right back. Okay. Welcome back. So back to that question, like, do you, feel like, I feel like you are the North star for single women, you know, like, I feel like you are like that person. Like everyone's like, talk to her about this. Talk to her about that. Like all single questions, you know, but did you, do you feel like pressure now that you're married? Are you like, wait, how, like, do you ever feel pressure being that single icon? You know? (laughs) Oh my God, I'm a single icon. Yes. (laughs) Well, listen, in a lot, I mean, I would, I would probably feel like a huge fraud if I was like secretly not happily married and like, didn't really figure it out, you know, pretending. Right. Luckily I got really, really, really lucky with Simon and I fully did meet my right person and I am happily married. Thank God. So, you know, it doesn't feel like pressure because I get excited about that idea. Like I get excited about the fact that I was that girl desperate to know what's on the other side, desperate to know where it's going, wanting to look at someone as a North star and go like, okay, well I can figure it out because she went through X, Y, and Z and she figured it out. So maybe I'm going to be okay. Mm -hmm. I was desperate to know. I don't need to know when it's going to happen. I just need to know that it will happen at all. Right. What if I wake up and I'm 42 and it truly just didn't happen for me? Mm-hmm. Like that's the biggest fear is, yeah. okay, it didn't happen the age I thought it was going to happen. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm 31. I'm 32. I'm 33. Mm-hmm. I'm 34. It's not happening. So what if it never happens? Right. Cause everyone says like, oh, it'll happen. It'll happen. It'll happen. But you can't help that nagging voice in your head that says like, what if it's just me? Like, what if it just doesn't happen for me? You know, what if it happens for everyone else? And some people it doesn't happen for. 
Right. And I don't know what the, what the factor is. The people I know who really never found a partner for them, I can kind of pinpoint what it's about. You can really see what it is because mm-hmm. it's not about she's not this enough or pretty enough or successful enough or cool enough or skinny enough. None of that is, mm-hmm. is what it's about. Mm-hmm. You can look and go, she was so self-destructive. She ruined every chance that she had mm-hmm. at a possibility of a happy ending. Mm-hmm. And she was her own worst enemy. Right. And so... I take a lot of pride in being that North star. And I look back at at girls who are still in that place. And I think about when I was at my wedding and I was marrying Simon and I said to him to think back and realize that every challenge I went through and every singles table I was put at at every wedding and every time I was the fifth wheel and every time I drove around with car seats in the back of my car with for my nieces while I'm going on dates, which is like not sexy at all. And every time I turned a new age and was alone at my birthday party and, yeah. you know, got rejected from someone I cared about and didn't like someone back and thought it was never going to happen. The whole time I was always going to end up standing here in front of you. I have the chills again. Yes. It blew my mind that that girl was always yeah. going to end up here. Yeah. Yeah. If only you'd known. You if know? only I had known, but like yeah. you didn't appreciate it without right. all of that. Right. Right. So is your advice kind of like what I'm hearing from you and I agree is like you got to do the work and make sure your side of the road is as clean as you can make it, you know, like understand your part and why you're choosing the wrong partners or why you're, you know, making the wrong turns at certain places and how you like how's your relationship with yourself because I feel like when you I heard you say like when Simon met you he said like that you seemed happy Mm -hmm. you know and I think that's just because you felt content you know and like who you are because I still wanted to meet someone yeah yeah but I was I was content and I do think that that's a big a big factor and if you're you know focused on the wrong things you'll probably meet someone who's also focused on the wrong things. You'll focus on them together. Right. And if you want someone who's focused on the right things then you kind of have to like do whatever it takes to get your priorities in line. And also something that's fascinating about therapy Mm -hmm. is that it's not that you solve the issue, but you look at the issue Mm -hmm. and looking at it is enough. Totally. Awareness is everything. Yeah. Like walking, being walked through your childhood being walked through when I was go to would go to my therapist and talk about dating issues, she would never talk to me about actually dating. She would talk mm-hmm. to me about like when I'm six and she'd say, right. what did this feel like? Right. And what did this feel like? And how did you handle that? And what did it make you feel? And did it make you feel like, you know, you're not good enough unless mm-hmm. someone like your dad picks you or mm-hmm. does it make you feel like no guy's attention is valuable unless he's, you know, the biggest guy in the mm-hmm. room and just looking at it kind of, you know, unraveled it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, God, I could sit with you for fucking four more hours. Like I loved this so much. I just have my last things. Like what is a topic or concept you wish more women, either like in your industry, in your friend group, whatever, would like stop lying about or just be more open about with each other? I mean, obviously plastic surgery, physical stuff would be great. You know, just admit you got the laser, the nose job or whatever. Yes. 
I always say, like, people are like, oh, your nose is so whatever. I'm like, I got a nose job. I just say it, like, when I meet someone, hi, I'm Jade, nice to meet you. I had a nose job. Like, I'm kind (laughs) of the same way. Yeah. I'm like, thank you, Dr. Novak. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Listen, I wish women would be more honest about everything. Yeah. Be more honest about your your failures, your rejections, Mm -hmm. your Botox, Mm -hmm. you know, your tummy tuck, that you're having Mm -hmm. a hard time with your kids. Mm Mm-hmm. I think be more honest about anything you're scared to be honest about. That's the thing you should be talking about because it makes other women feel less alone and it makes you, you feel better. You know, if I lived in fear of you finding out that I got fired from the writing job, I was so excited to have, it would create so much anxiety. And instead I take this thing that I'm totally not proud of and I shine a light on it instead of avoiding it. And then it kind of takes its power away. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my God. I love that. What's a way in which you're working on yourself these days? Like what's a way you're trying to self-improve? Like, are you, I mean, we talked about therapy, but what are you working on? I'm working on being better at apologizing. Mm. Something I don't like to do. <laughs> Same. I have very little experience doing it because I've never been wrong. <laughs> exactly. But when I'm hearing from my husband and from Sarah that I'm bad yeah. apologizing and never admit when I'm wrong, it <laughs> okay. becomes clear that it's true. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, like I said before, making more time for really small things that help me feel sane. Like what? Reading a book. Yeah. Not drinking the glass of wine, waking up earlier, responding to the email instead of ignoring it. Mm-hmm. Doing the small things that make me feel like I'm actually can keep up. Totally. Um, and what's something that people follow you on Instagram would be surprised to know? I feel like I have a reputation for being someone who's always on Instagram and like always <laughs> posting my life. And like, I don't think I am as much as people think I am. No, because I feel like you don't post like every single thing about your life. No. So people think that you're on it all the time and you're not. Yeah. I mean, if Simon listens to this, he's going to be laughing because he's like, <laughs> sometimes he looks at my phone, he's like six hours today, Aaron. But six you know, hours, mine's at like seven or eight. But that's me getting, and I'm not posting stuff. Yeah, that's me. I'm getting like stuck in like a wormhole where I've like yeah. been someone's like, you know, engagement and I've never yes. even heard of before. Right, right. How do you choose what to share and what not to? It's just an instinct. But like, does it, like, it always freaks me out that like my boyfriend's family follows me on Instagram. Like, oh my God, I know. My mother wants to following me and I get so scared. Oh my God. It would just freak me out. Listen, you can hide your stories from them. Oh, word. That's true. Okay. That's true. When, you, when you're doing something that seems a little more provocative. That's true. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it's tough. It is hard to know what to share. Listen, Simon's a really private person. His family's yeah. very private. So it's taken, you know, it's been, it's been interesting, like mm-hmm. being someone who shares a lot about their life. Cause Simon's like, not like that, but early mm-hmm. on in our relationship, he was like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not an Instagram person. So I don't want you like posting me or anything. And I'm like, all right, cool. Then I'll just continue to, to act like I'm single. He's yes. like, mm, no, I don't want you to do that. Genius. <laughs> right. I was like, Oh, you don't want me to. Okay. Well, if I'm not single, then I guess I should say I have a boyfriend. Right. So then you got him that way. That's genius. Reverse psychology. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. Well, that's it. You are done. Thank you so much for well, doing this, this with me. Thank you so, so much. This was so fun. Like you are amazing. And I just Thanks, really appreciate Jade. You're it. You're awesome. And this is really great. You were very good at interviewing. Oh, thank you so much. I'm excited yeah. for your podcast. 
I hope you guys liked getting to know this side of Erin as much as I did. Like I said, I could have kept talking to her forever, and I felt like so much of what she said was so helpful for those of us wandering in our 20s and wondering if it gets better. As we mentioned earlier, Erin and her sister Sarah have a clothing line together called Favorite Daughter, which you can find at shopfavoritedaughter.com, and the Instagram is at favorite.daughter. As always, I beg of you to rate this podcast and subscribe if you're liking what we've got going on over here. And if you ever have any feedback or just want to chat more, I'm unfortunately always on Instagram and you can find me at Jade Iovine. I'd love to hear what you think of these episodes thus far or about a time in your life or something you went through or are currently going through that you might have felt alone or feel alone in. So while I still have you, I want to remind you of another way for us to keep talking. You can text me or leave me a voicemail at 415-849-0299. Thank you guys so much for hanging with me and I'll see you next time.